All right. Hello, everybody. Hello, 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 and welcome to you all. Welcome to the People of the Lie Review Series. I am your host, Permission to Exist, also known as PTE. Today is Thursday, July 22nd, 2021. And as partially promised, here we are. Last show, I said probably next Thursday, which is today. And I am so happy and I really like it when I'm able to make good on my promises to you guys. I really, really get excited about that. So welcome, everybody. It's so good to have you back. Welcome to the review series. We're going to go ahead and get started here and go on with our show. So this is actually one of the topics that I could not wait to get to with you guys in this book. I was so excited. And believe it or not, in a weird way, it kind of held up the production of restarting everything because I so badly wanted to get to this one that I really didn't want to do the other ones. <laughs> but you have to move in order with these things, or at least you should. Anyway, that's just my opinion. But welcome, everyone. I'm excited about this show. I've been looking forward to this show for a while. OK, so if you're new here, this is the book that we are reviewing, People of the Lie, The Hope for Healing Human Evil by Dr. M. Scott Peck, written in 1983, but as applicable today as ever before, I think. It's eerie sometimes the parallels that we find between this book that was written in 83 and today. It's almost like it was written for today. So it's a very good book. I highly recommend it. There is a link to this book in the description box. So welcome everybody, welcome to the show. Tonight's topic is the accidental exorcist. And we have discussed this before on this channel, how we seem to accidentally exercise the narcissist, whether or not we actually intend to or mean to. And after reading this particular chapter or this part of the chapter, because chapter five goes on after this, I said, oh, this is why we exercise them. This is why. This would be why. And also, I'll say this at the top of the show and somewhere towards the end, but I have a video called, what is that video called? I think it's called On Narcissist Demonic Possession. And I think it's the number three video on this channel. And in that video, I make the recommendation to <laughs> offer to exercise narcissists if they're behaving demonically. And many people in the chat, since that video was posted years ago, have cautioned against this and said that it's a really bad idea to exercise people without the proper expertise. And I will say after reading this chapter and after reading all of your comments, I agree. Unfortunately, there's nothing that I can do to edit that video. So I can't, I mean, I could take that part out, but then the rest of the video would be weird. So I'm just going to leave it as is, but I just want you guys to know that I do agree with you. You were correct. You were 100% right. Please don't go out here trying to exercise people without the proper experience and expertise and without their willingness as well. Okay. What I really meant by that is kind of like when you're going back and forth with trolls online and you know what I mean? The troll is starting to get really ugly and you're just like, hey, you want me to call that demon out of you? I'd be happy to. That's kind of what I meant. I didn't really mean it like you're in your living room with your spouse trying to exercise your spouse against your will, his, his or her will. That's not really what I meant. But I understand how it was taken and I take responsibility for that. 
And I just want to let you guys know you were correct. You are correct. And I take responsibility for that incorrect information. Okay. Because this is not something to play with honey at all. Okay. So let's get into it. Tonight's topic and the theme of tonight's review is the accidental exorcist. Okay. So for me, this particular chapter begins on page 182, I believe. Let's see here. Yes. Okay. Yes. So it, it begins chapter five on page 182. And the title of chapter five is of possession and exorcism. Okay. And he really kind of sets this whole chapter up talking about how he really hadn't gotten into this at first. But the more he started to work with certain patients, the more he opened himself up to the idea of evil and the possibility of evil and the possibility of exorcism. Uh-oh, I didn't even do my little disclaimers. Where did they go? I think I accidentally deleted them. Well, I'll do a quick, yeah, I did. I'll do a quick disclaimer. Quick disclaimer, this chapter deals with exorcism, the demonic, spiritual and religious themes, all of that. Dang, I missed my whole intro. I forgot to copy paste it, dang. Oh, well, we're moving on. Also, there's a resource in BetterHelp. You can find details on that in the description box below. Forgive me, I left out two slides, so I forgot to say all that, okay? But we're going to move forward. So he gets into how this is not really something he had considered before, but he slowly began to open himself up to it and then slowly became a believer. And we're going to start off this review on page 185, where he says that all psychotherapy is a form of exorcism. And that stood out to me because to me, it meant that all psychotherapy is attempting to remove something highly dysfunctional from you. Now, whether you want to call that something demonic, something of the spiritual realm is up to you, but all psychotherapy is a form of exorcism. Okay. Which would explain why many narcissists and cluster B people or people who might be evil don't like to go because it's a form of exorcism. And that's why this whole theme is the accidental exorcist. Because when you are talking to your narcissist or attempting to reason with them or do anything really that has to deal with the mind, you are performing an exorcism, whether you realize it or not. And this, I believe, is why we have so many issues out of these people and why I believe also that sometimes they go off into these violent outbreaks because you accidentally exercise the demon and we didn't know where to put it. It didn't know where to put it. And so it became violent, but we'll get there. So anyway, also on page 185, he says, all good psychotherapy does in fact combat lies. And that's actually all part of the same sentence. So it says, all psychotherapy is a form of exorcism. And in my experience, all good psychotherapy does in fact combat lies. And I've been mentioning this to you guys before, how I've been meditating on this idea of people loving lies and how the love of lies absolutely shapes their life. The refusal to accept reality or acknowledge reality or believe reality shapes their life in every way, you guys. It can keep you frozen in a situation or it can move you forward. Like 
I'm still meditating on that idea. And I don't think I'll ever get a firm grip around it, honestly. But when I look at it through this lens, all good psychotherapy does, in fact, combat lies. It's like, just like we were talking about in the last show, he basically said that the root of mental health is a constant, I guess, confronting of reality. I forgot how it was worded, but it's like you're constantly facing reality all the time. That's the only way to truly be mentally healthy. The issue with that is reality is not always fun. Reality is not always happy. Reality is not always something that we want to even be true. So, you know, it's easy to face the good parts of reality. We want those. We try to duplicate those. We try to repeat those over and over and over again, the good parts. The bad parts of reality, we tend to try to run from them. And when we run from the bad parts of reality, we end up shaping our life into a complete lie. The whole thing becomes a lie. Moving on. Well, actually, before we move on, I didn't do a slide on this one, but it comes up on page 186 where he says, in exorcisms, the patient is outnumbered. So I thought that was important because when you're battling an evil person one-on-one, -on -one, technically it's, a, it's an even match. But when you are trying to exorcise somebody in the, in the real sense, like a real exorcism, the patient is outnumbered. So there's more people forcing this, this person to face reality versus just the one-on-one -on -one battle where they can kind of wiggle and squirm and gaslight and word salad you to try to duck reality. It's hard to do that when there's multiple witnesses present, you see? So all for that reason, all psychotherapy is a form of an exorcism, all right? So let's move on. This is also on page 186 and similar to what I was just saying about how they're outnumbered. During these exorcisms, he or she cannot, like Charlene, walk out when things get unpleasant. And I thought this was so powerful because part of the reason we can't get anywhere with evil people, with narcissistic people, is because they can flee. They have multiple avenues of flight. If you're communicating on the phone via text, they can simply stop writing you back. If you're talking on the phone, they can simply hang up. They can block you. They can block you across social media. If you're in person, they can walk out of the room. They can leave the house. You know what I mean? They can flee and they often do flee. And sometimes when they can't physically flee, they flee in other ways like shutting down the conversation, changing the subject, flipping it on you and then suddenly making it about you. Now you're arguing about something that has nothing to do with what the whole conversation started with. But since they can't physically flee, like let's say y'all are stuck on an airplane or something or stuck on a road trip in the middle of nowhere and you can't, no one can really go anywhere. Well, they're going to do everything they can to take the subject away from them, which is their form of walking out. And we've talked about this before. What is, it's one of my videos, the five stages of narc anger, I think maybe, where I said the fifth and final stage is where they get up and walk out. And that's what they do. And this is why none of their issues can ever be resolved because they just won't face them. They get up and walk out when things get unpleasant. So imagine what happens then 
when you suddenly drop something on them, <laughs> I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit, but imagine what happens when you cause them to face something that either they thought they were hiding or they thought they were doing a good job masking. And you, you say it either knowingly or unknowingly. What you're doing a lot of times is exercising these people without their consent, but you didn't necessarily mean to do it. You're just a person who dwells in reality. And these are people who dwell in lies. And people who dwell in reality, I believe, often hurt people of the lie because you just your very existence is an exorcism, really, truly. But we'll get there. We'll get there. I feel like this episode, I feel like I'll never be able to fully encompass everything I'm feeling about this topic, but I'm going to try. So let's move on. Okay. This is on page 188. And he said, exorcism is psychotherapy by massive assault. And I really sat and thought about this for a long time after I read this particular part. And man, it's so, it's so, mm. exorcism is psychotherapy by massive assault. So basically in the, in the real sense, when they perform real exorcisms on people, what they are doing is so forcefully confronting these people with truth and reality and not, not allowing them to leave that it exercises the demon out of them. Like how crazy is that? That you are so steeped in lies and so steeped in falsehoods that you have to be massively assaulted by way of psychotherapy to make it stop. Like you're basically jumping them. You know, when people get jumped on the street, you're basically jumping them with the truth. Basically, you're ganging up on them and jumping them with the truth. And if they cannot run, what happens is <laughs> the demon just ha it has to come up out. It has to. It can't stay in there. It's like the truth to these demons that dwell within these people. To me, it's like an acid to the skin almost. It's like a, you know, kind of like how the vampires can't see light or it makes them, what, is, what does it do to the vampires? Does, it, does the light kill them or does it just make them turn into bats? I don't know. I don't, I don't know anything about that. But I just know in the cartoons, the vampires can't see the light because it's like not good for them or whatever. That's essentially what you're doing. You're shining this massive light, this big bright light, and there's no corners, nothing to hide underneath. There's nowhere to run and there's nowhere to go but out, basically. Oh, it kills them. Interesting. So this is how badly this thing, this entity wants to stay within this person and stay hidden and not be revealed and not expose itself. So I say all that to say that if this is the type of person you're dealing with, understand that many of them, the only way out is exorcism. <laughs> We've talked about this before. Like, how do you fix this? How do you treat this? I've said many times medical science does not know what to do with this yet, and I still don't think they do. So it appears that the only true treatment for a narcissist would be an exorcism. And an exorcism is psychotherapy by massive assault. So it's not psychotherapy by 
a one hour appointment on the therapist's couch where they can get their car keys and leave. Oh no, it's more so like you're kind of, we're kind of holding you hostage against your will in a little bit, a little bit, but you signed off on it though. That's what you wanted. <laughs> we didn't kidnap you. God, you signed off on it, you know, but people do, I guess this still happens. I should have looked into that, but I'm pretty sure this type of work still happens all the time everywhere. But if you think about it, like if you wanted to remove the spiritual religious aspect from this, just think of it like this, because I know there are a lot of people who don't believe in anything other than here and now, and that's fine. So think about it like this. What, what we would call an exorcism in the spiritual is basically the removal of su such a toxic personality trait. And the way that that toxic personality trait is removed is by confronting this person in a very aggressive way with the truth and not letting them run, basically. Which is kind of, I want to say pitiful. Like if I'm just being honest with you guys, like how pitiful. And I'm not saying that anyone in need of an exorcism is pitiful. I think the part that makes me say pitiful is the fact that it got there in the first place. Like you so clung to lies and you so clung to this false reality that <laughs> it, it took an exorcism to snap you out of it. Like that's what we're dealing with, you guys. That's why and how the truth is so important. This is why it's so important to tell the truth. And you know what I was thinking about also? I was like, I think a, I think a lot of the times the reason that I struggle on the job is because I'm asked to engage, I'm being asked to engage in a lot of lies on a daily basis. Lie about the current state of this, lie about the current state of that, lie about how good this program really is. Go tell this person they did a great job, even though they didn't. You know what I mean? Um, submit this work and sell it like it's 100%, but you know in your heart it's really like 66%, maybe 68 at best. Yes, the chat says lying is tiresome. Yes, yes, it is. Very. And it's also evil. So I was like, I don't think I thrive in these environments because in many ways, these environments are evil. <laughs> Even though everybody in there is smiling and laughing and has a positive attitude, the environment itself is evil. And to me, that would be the truest definition of hell. To me, hell is not where everyone is writhing and screaming and pain and burning and all that. That could be true and that could be coming. I'm not saying it's not. What I'm saying is, to me, the truest form of a hell would be where you think you're in heaven, but you're actually in hell. So everyone's smiling. Everything's great. Everything's awesome. Everything is so positive. But the truth of the matter is you are actually in hell but it's it's hidden from you. You see what I mean? Versus like if you're in hell and you know it, <laughs> like, okay, this is definitely hell. This is definitely not good. And I'm definitely not happy to be here. To me, the truest, most pure form of hell would be a hell that doesn't appear to be hell at first. So that's why I struggle in these environments because I'm like, at, at their core, they are evil. No, they're not engaging in what we would think of your typical evil behaviors, like everything you see around Halloween 
or like everything the Illuminati is accused of and the, the different rituals that they engage in. That's what I think of when I think of like evil, you know, but when I'm talking about evil is an environment that honors and upholds lies more than it honors and upholds the truth. And you are expected to play along with the upholding of those lies. And if you don't, oh, there's hell to pay. So I'm like, wow, all of these environments that I've been in have been evil. And they have been because they've all been lying in some meaningful way. Like the one I'm in now, all I can really say about it is it spends more time creating the false image of itself than it does just fixing the things that would actually make it great. And that's all I can really say. It invests more time, effort, and energy in the pretense, which we're going to get into here in a second. More time is spent on the pretense than is spent on the actual things that would make us great. So more, more effort is spent on the lie than the truth that would make us great. And it's simple fixes, easy fixes. Like we're not trying to build rockets over here where I am now. Simple, easy fixes, but nope, they're more invested in the lie than the truth. So I'm like, I got to get up out of here. <clears throat> oh, I got to find my way up out of here. Okay. So let's move on. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you back. Aren't you guys happy this is back? I'm happy too. Like, I was not going to be satisfied until we got back on track with this and finished this book. Okay. So here we are. Look at me keeping my word. Yeah. So let's talk about demon strength. Okay. This is on page 188. And it said the demonic can have a tremendous energy of its own. Okay. And what this made me think of was when we were having our discussion about zip ties and airplanes and things. And a lot of you told me, PTE, your zip tie idea is not going to work because when people are going nuts, they'll break right through them. And I like went and played with some of my zip ties. I was like, man, I can't pull this apart. But then I was like, but then again, I'm not possessed with demon strength right now. So yeah, you probably can't pull them apart with regular human strength. But if someone is charged up on demon strength, they probably could pull those zip ties apart. But hopefully the zip ties will at least slow them down. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> okay. But this is on page 188. And let's see. The whole sentence is, the whole purpose of an exorcism is to uncover and isolate the demonic within the patient so that it can then be expelled. The demonic can have a tremendous energy of its own. Perhaps there are cases in which this energy is too powerful for either the patient or team to cope with, or the patient may not truly desire to be rid of it. Then the outcome of an exorcism would probably leave the patient worse off than before. The result could even conceivably be fatal. In such case, cases, it would be better if the high voltage demonic energy had never been tapped into or uncovered in the first place. Okay. So that was one of the confirmation lines for me, like, okay, yeah, you need to speak back out on that and say, you know, I understand. And I agree that you cannot go out here performing exorcisms, just walking down the street. Not a great idea. Okay. These demons are very, very strong. However, the point of this particular show and stream is to let you know that sometimes 
you're calling these demons out on accident. You don't mean to. It's, it's absolutely nothing that you intend to do. This does not happen as much as it used to in the early days. But any of you who have been around since like 2016, 2017 can probably attest to when I used to put out early videos, I'm telling you the sound of my voice exercises some of them. Some of them cannot stand the sound of my voice. They can't stand it. They can't stand it. And then it, it contrasts with all the people who tell me that they like the sound of my voice. So I've gotten more people tell me that they like it than don't like it. But it's almost like there's something about the pitch, the tonal quality, the timbre. I don't know. But there's something about my voice that raises those demons right on up out of those people. Right. I'm talking about right out. And they used to put it all in the comments, all in the comments. I hate your stupid voice. I'm like, OK. <laughs> Like they'd go off on me in this whole paragraph. And then at the end of it, they'd be like, and you're so stupid and such an idiot with that stupid voice of yours. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. You know, but it's, it's true. It's true. I'm sure some of those comments are still there. I have no doubt, but that's what I mean by you can do it on accident. Sometimes it's things that you have no control over, like your voice. Okay. Things like that. So Maybe that's why they try to keep me quiet so much in real life, because I sit up here and, and exercise them on accident. And that would make sense to me because as the train goes off in the background, thanks train. I don't know if y'all can hear that, but um, wow, it's really intense. Sometimes I feel like it's getting ready to just come right through the house. Um, you can make people sick with sounds, right? Don't they have like energy weapons and sound weapons that the military has that they can actually use? So sound is a very interesting thing and vibrations that come with sound are an interesting thing. So if all of that is true, I could see how the vibrations of my voice could raise a demon right on up out of them. I could see that. Mm, the chat says, the world was spoken into existence. There is great power in spoken language. Absolutely. And according to the Bible, all that there was in the beginning was the word. That was it. Just words and sounds. That was it. It built a whole world. Yeah, we're going to have to go deeper on that. Because I actually found an article or saw something, something the other day that was basically saying that what you are closest to, you start to pick up the vibrations of it and then kind of become in sync with it. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Since it's on my mind, here it is. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, this is good. Okay. I'm going to save this for a deeper PTE. I'll just have to remember to talk about things that vibrate and syncing up. Okay. So let's move on. Yeah. It says the military has been using it to see its impact on the human body. Mm -hmm. And I saw a video on YouTube the other day that Tesla had invented like this vibrating triangle and giving it to somebody because he wasn't feeling good. And like this person would like stand next to this triangle or something and like feel better. Like it would vibrate the hell out of him and then he would feel sick. And then after he felt sick, he would feel like amazing, something like that. So we might have to talk more about that. 
Yes, exactly. Like the metronome hearts in a room will sync up. That's the video that I saw. They had a bunch of metronomes and they started them all at a, at a different time. And then before long, they all started to sync up. So it made me think like, wow, do we slowly start to become like the things that we are closest to? Because basically our vibrations start to connect and sync up. Don't get me started. Y'all going to take me down a whole different rabbit hole. I'll save that for my other channel. A Deeper PTE, please go subscribe. We talk about all the fun stuff that we can't talk about over here. We go down all the rabbit holes over there. Okay. So this is on page 189. And this was pretty profound to me. This stuck with me. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be laughing, but it made me laugh. I'm sorry it did. The point he was trying to make with this particular or in this particular paragraph, in one case of an exorcism, it took seven trained professionals four days at 12 to 16 hours per day to break through with this person on case one. And then on case two, it took nine professionals three days and 12 to 24 hours per day to break through on case number two, okay? Now I cannot remember for the life of me, but I feel like we did a video or a live stream probably a year or two ago where there was a professional, there was an expert basically saying that narcissists cannot be treated. They can't be healed. If any of you actually remember that, let me know if I'm making that up in my head or if that's something we actually did together. I feel like it is. And they were basically saying, yeah, 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 yeah. They were basically saying it would take 10 years of like consistent, like weekly, bi-weekly, tri-weekly therapy to even begin to make progress with the narcissist. God, I wish I could remember the name of that live stream, but I distinctly remember that. And the point of that live stream was basically like, there seems to be no hope for these people. And if you look at this, Look at how many people it took, how many days it took, and how many hours per day it took to make headway with these people that they were exercising. So if this is the case with professionals who exercise people, I assume for a living or as a hobby, then what in the world do you think you're going to do? What impact do you think you're going to have? Like, I know a lot of us really truly think in our heart that if we just use the right combination of words and if we say it calmly and kindly and without emotion, just neutral, and we approach them in love and approach them like an adult, that we can get through. But please understand that in one case, it took seven trained professionals, four days, 12 to 16 hours per day. And in another case, it took nine trained professionals three days at 12 to 24 hours per day to break through with these people. So what do you think that you are going to do? What headway do you think you're actually going to make? You think you are Mr. or Mrs. Psychotherapist, and you think that <laughs> because you used to get A's on your English paper and that you think because you're a great writer and you think because you know, you're a great communicator that somehow you, little old you is going to break through with someone who is truly honestly possessed, to be honest with you. But 
has a demonic force in them so strong that this is how long it takes professionals to get it out. So that's what you're dealing with. Like this to me really put into perspective the magnitude of what we're dealing with. We are not dealing with something that's easily treated, easily remedied. Like we are dealing with something so serious that people basically have to like stay awake for three days straight, exercising the demons out of these people by constantly confronting them with the truth. And I feel like that's what I do. Like eventually at some point in the future, I'm going to try to actually have like real debates with people like in some of these communities that I've talked about before here on the channel, like the Manosphere and, and places like that, because I feel like that's all that I do. Like I don't get upset. All I have to do is just ask you a series of questions rooted in reality and your whole platform dissolves instantly. Like it may not even be fun to watch. You know what I mean? The debates that go on and on are debates where neither one of them actually truly understand where the other is making an error. So those debates go on and on and on. But if you see where somebody is making a mistake, it's very easy to call that out. And then the debate typically ends because the truth cancels everything. Different show, different topic. Let's move on, okay? So this is what you're dealing with though, guys. So just know that the next time you go to try to talk to your narcissist or the next time someone says to you something like, well, why don't you just go talk to them? <laughs> next time someone says to you, well, why don't you just go talk to them? Remember this slide, okay? Seven trained professionals, four days, 16 hours a day. Just go talk to them. Okay. All right. Now, this is on page 190. I thought that this was actually really eerie and kind of creepy. This creeped me out. Because it says, the one who looked sicker had the easier exorcism. The one who looked more sane had the deeper possession and more ghastly struggle for healing. I was like, ooh, ooh. God, that creeped me out, man. That creeped me out bad. Because it's like you put two people who are both possessed in front of you. One looks really sick. Like one you would point at and go, yeah, that's the possessed one. That one over there, that one's okay. That one right there is the possessed one. But the truth, according to this book, is that the one who looked sicker had the easier exorcism. The one who looked more sane had the deeper possession and more ghastly struggle for healing. So what does that mean, you guys? What does that mean? Like, <laughs> what does that mean? That scares me bad, man. And I think, though, honestly, this is kind of what I mean. Hey, Jedi Mike, how are you? Welcome. This is kind of what I mean by you must believe in the boogeyman. So I think I have to somehow remind myself of this, this quote, this page, this slide. The next time I do the boogeyman, a boogeyman series installment. Because this is kind of sort of what I'm trying to say. I just didn't realize that this is what I was trying to say, which is it's very easy to look at someone who we traditionally think is dangerous and say, oh, that's a dangerous person. I'm going to avoid them for sure. 
like they definitely have all the signs of danger, right? It's the ones who don't necessarily show those warning signs or those danger signs that can be the most dangerous. Like think about, um, oh, what is that boy's name? The guy, um, Watts, Chris Watts. Like now some of you would look at Chris Watts and probably see it immediately. But when I look at Chris Watts, I didn't, I don't, still don't. He looks normal as hell to me. <laughs> no pun intended. He looks very regular to me. Like he looks like he would be in any corporate office. He looks like he would be down at any local bar having happy hour with his friends. He looks like he would be on any golf course. Normal. He looks completely regular to me. You know what I mean? And just as dangerous as the person who looks dangerous. Okay. So, you know, and that's not to say, I don't want y'all to go out in the world and look at every regular looking person and be like, uh-huh, yeah, I bet you're a completely possessed psychopath serial killer. Please don't do that. What I'm saying is, I think you have to open yourself up to the possibility that someone who may or may not be showing a sign could be incredibly possessed and evil. So for example, there are people who might stand accused of something. I see a name in the chat, but for the sake of keeping it neutral, I won't say it. And the people who believe in this person, they just cannot, they can't see it. But the people who've seen the other side of people like that, see it instantly. We're like, oh yeah, dirty old man. Yeah, for sure. You know, or wicked witch, whatever. But you know, you know that dirty old man energy. So when, when it all came out, you're just like, yeah, mm -hmm, of course. But there are people who absolutely can't see it because this person looks so normal to them and regular. You see what I mean? So you have to open yourself up to the possibility that some people have more than one side and that it's possible that they could only be presenting the one side to you. So what I was trying to say earlier was this often happens where you might hear something about someone and you'd be like, really? They don't seem like that type of person or they would never do that or they've never shown me any signs of that. I'm not saying believe rumors and gossip. What I'm saying is always hold the door slightly open for the possibility that it could be true. It's always possible that it's not true, but it's equally as possible that it is true. And the people who are who so readily dismiss the possibility that it is true are the ones who usually end up getting hurt by these people because they refuse to believe it. Only want to see the good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Priscilla, that dirty old man energy. Yeah. Yeah. And if someone has never experienced that, they won't see it. They wouldn't know it. So this is on page 190. And this I plan on doing a standalone video on at some point because I have something I want to pair with it. And that thing that I want to pair with it is so complex. <sighs> but it's going to happen. I just have to figure out how to do it. But this is on page 190. And it says possession appears to be a gradual process in which the possessed person repeatedly sells out for one reason or another. So in other words, people who end up possessed, it's not like they were walking down the street and the devil just jumped on them or some spirit just jumped on them or 
something just jumped on them. What this is suggesting is that possession is a process that happens slowly and over time. And it happens by way of selling out in one way or another. And in my opinion, one way that you sell out is by lying. Even if they're what you call white lies, innocent lies, lies that technically don't hurt other people. Like if you're made to do that on a regular basis, it changes you as a person. One of my current coworkers, like every time I look at this guy and interact with him, the movie Get Out comes to mind. Like he has been soul snatched and body snatched, honey. Like he, in my opinion, is a shell of his former self. And I never knew him before. So that, and that should tell you something. I'm like, I don't know what these people did to you, but I know that I'm interacting with the shell right now because they have totally soul snatched you because you have to lie all the time. You can never really tell the truth to these people. The truth burns them. So the only way to keep your job is to kind of engage in the lie. So here's one way that that happens, you guys. And I know it seems small and innocent, but hear me out. At my current workplace, if you don't end, and this is not a written requirement, it's unspoken. If you don't end every single sentence with an exclamation point, they think that you're not having a very good day. And they will reach out and ask you if you're okay, if you're feeling okay. If you don't end literally every sentence with an exclamation point. So no matter what, no matter what the topic, no matter what the subject, no matter what, if you're not ending it with an exclamation point, let me just, you know, I'm just going to put it in the chat just, just for the sake of everyone knowing what I'm talking about. They think something's wrong with you. And, you know, for me, I use exclamation points when I mean it, when I actually want to communicate excitement or joy or happiness or, you know, something that requires an exclamation point. And to me, when I overuse them, <laughs> it is kind of funny, isn't it? When I overuse them, to me, then I start to feel fake. Like, hold up, pause. I don't write like this. I don't write like this because the way it would read would be, possession appears to be a gradual process in which the possessed person repeatedly sells out for one reason or another. We're doing a book review on people of the lie. The hope for healing human evil. Like, I don't, uh-uh. No, 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 no. Mm -mm. Because then how will you know when I'm really happy? Like, how will you know when I'm actually excited about something if I put an exclamation point behind everything? And I'm telling you guys, I've experimented with it. I was like, okay, this week I'm going to try only using them when I mean it. And I'm telling you, within a few days, so is everything okay? Are you feeling all right? Everything good? You know, you enjoying yourself? Like they have to check in because they're like, she stopped using exclamation points. So she must not be happy. And I'm like, I cannot live like this. I can't do this. Like if this is what's going to be expected of me, as far as employment is concerned going forward, then I'm going to have to break off and go full time into this. Because I can't do it, you guys. I can't live on that level of fakery. And I feel like only women really, truly are asked to be that way, with the exception of this guy who gives me the get out vibes. I've never really seen it happen to a man, but this is a full grown man 
who puts exclamation points behind all of his sentences. And that's when I knew that she had tapped that teacup and he's way down deep in that sunken place. Cause I'm like, boy, now, you know, full well, you don't talk like this in real life. You don't, you know that I didn't say, and this is me thinking about him. It's just sad to see, like they hollowed him out. Like he's completely broken completely. But anyway, um, but that's what I mean about selling out. So the more I do that, the more I put the exclamation points, oh yes, get out vibes. The more that I pretend that everything is great when it's really not, it's a, you're gradually selling out. And what I've found is when I can't do it anymore, I typically quit. I feel like the people who don't quit, the ones who stay are the ones who end up zombified and possessed of the devil because you sold out. So let's move on to page 191. Okay. So it says, I, oof, oh man. <laughs> it says, I haven't learned anything these past 20 years. I'm really just 12 years old. So what this was, was a patient after they had, well, let me just read it. It says possession in both cases seemed to create what psychiatrists call fixation at the age of its onset. During the exorcism, one patient, when the healthy self was free to speak, gave the most poignant expression of fixation I've ever heard. Quote, I haven't learned anything these past 20 years. I'm really just 12 years old. How can I possibly function after the exorcism? I'm way too young to be married and have children. How can I have sex and be a parent when I'm only 12, end quote. So basically what he was saying was in the middle of this exorcism, well, I guess in the middle of exorcisms, they roll in and out of the healthy voice and the possessed voice. And I think we're going to talk about that here in a second, um, but I'll just mention it here because I feel like this is what they do in day-to-day -day life. I kind of feel like when they gaslight, this is what they're doing. They roll, they roll in and out of the healthy, unpossessed person and the possessed person, and they move in and out of it. So when this person was on their healthy side, they asked him like, how can I function when I'm really only 12 years old? And guys, that, that one right there, that was a book closer. I was like, oh, wow. Wow. Because isn't that what we always feel like what we're dealing with, you guys? Youth, youthful people, people whose minds have not fully matured, people whose minds have not fully reached adulthood. Isn't that what we always feel like we're dealing with? And what he's basically saying it is the age of possession is the age that they stop at. So whatever age you got possessed at is the age that you cease to grow. And that's what it feels like. And I think that this engenders a lot of sympathy, but you have to remember that quite often they don't want to let it go. They really don't like it's sometimes they do. And that's when the exorcism is successful. But a lot of times like they're gone, you guys. So that's why I say it, it had, it can engender sympathy, but when you understand what these people do and who they are and how they kind of like it, that's when the sympathy kind of goes away. When you understand that 
they could come out of this if they would only face the truth. And that's what they refuse to do. That's when the sympathy kind of starts to dissolve for me. So like, for example, and I might bring this up again on the news break tomorrow, but a lot of people weren't really happy with how I handled the, what we call the wild Karen situation in Victoria's Secret. And I will try to stop using the word Karen because that is some people's name. So, you know, I'll try to handle situations like that better, but this is kind of how I viewed it. I'm like, what a convenient card to play every time you get in trouble out in public. So you were doing just fine until someone caught you. And yes, in fairness, this woman didn't have to post this on social media. She really didn't. So, you know, I'll, I'll handle situations like that a little better in the future. But, you know, all things considered, what a convenient card to play. Anytime you get in trouble in public, oh, well, I'm mentally ill. And while that may be true, how much are we supposed to tolerate off of you because you're mentally ill? So what I mean by that is if this woman who had charged the lady who was recording her had actually hit her, physically hit her, and then crumbled up onto the floor into a ball like a toddler, like, is that okay? Is it okay that she hit her? Is it okay that she publicly disturbed the peace? Because it sounds to me like she needs a guide with her. If she can't handle being out in society, she needs somebody to be with her to kind of help her out. You see what I mean? So it's kind of like it becomes quite convenient and I think very unfair to people who do have those different personality disorders, different illnesses, if you want to call it that, you still cause destruction, basically. So like in the case of this possessed person, where they say, I haven't learned anything these past 20 years, I'm really just 12 years old. See, I believe that. I believe they're telling the truth, but how much damage have they caused as a fully grown 12 year old? How much damage have they wreaked in the lives of themselves, people they love, because they are full grown 12 year olds. You see what I mean? So it's like, I'm, I wanna find that balance between sympathy. I think, I think where the balance is in the future, you really don't have to post stuff like that on social media. You really don't. Like it happened, she recorded it. If it gets legal, you have the recording, but that could truly be the end of it. You know what I mean? You don't have to then put it on social media. So I will agree with that. I'll agree with that. But it doesn't change the fact that it appears this woman just goes out in public and does whatever she wants. And then when she's held accountable, now she's 12. You see what I mean? So we'll talk about that more. We'll, we'll talk about that in a separate show. Okay. So let's move on to page 194. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Mm. It says the first and usually longest stage of an exorcism is called the pretense. For the exorcism to occur, the pretense must be broken. So what I wrote for my note is nothing can change until the fakery stops. So until the fakery ends, the make-believe, the pretend, the artificial, until that comes to an end, absolutely nothing can, can change. And I found it very interesting that this is the longest stage of 
the exorcism, breaking through the pretense, man. The pretense is essentially the false fake persona that they have worked so long to build. So I don't remember the name of the show. The name of the show might've been Flip This House, might've been the name of that show. And do you remember at the end, what they would do is they would take a giant cardboard cutout of the old house and they would put it on wheels and put it in front of the new house that just got renovated. And they would bring up the owners and have them close their eyes and when they opened their eyes, they would roll back the picture of the old house and reveal the new one. Do you guys remember that show? The pretense is essentially that big cardboard cutout picture of the old house, right? And it doesn't have to be an old anything, but that's just the best example I could come up with. Now, imagine how long that took to make. Imagine how long it would take to create a scale model photograph of an of a house that you just renovated, put it on like a giant piece of, I assume, waterproof cardboard, put that on wheels and situate it to where it perfectly covers the old house so you can't see the new one behind it. Think about the time and effort involved in creating something like that. So imagine then if you're walking down the street you see this big cardboard cutout and you're like, what is that? It looks like a house. That's not a house. It looks like a house. You walk up to it and you peek around it and you're like, oh my God, this is a cardboard cutout. Imagine how furious the person who was trying to hide the other house would be because they worked so hard on that fake cardboard cutout. It's the same thing with these narcissists. It's the same thing. You spend your whole entire life building up this fake persona, this fake person, this fake identity, or like a fake business. You spent multiple years designing a fake business, <laughs> like totally fake. It's really um, a shell operation, or I think that's what it's called, a shell operation. It's probably more like a money laundering operation, but it's up and functioning. And then someone, you hire somebody new and they walk in and they're like, um, is this a real business? Like, in other words, they figure it out immediately. What you have done in situations like that and situations similar to that is you have broken the pretense on accident. Hence the theme of this particular stream, the accidental exorcist. So I could honestly spend all day on this, but think about, think about it like this. There's all kinds of different pretenses out there, okay? Some are more obvious than others. Some are physical, some are not physical. Some are tangible, some are not tangible, okay? Some can be quantified, some cannot be quantified. And the thing about you or people like you, if you're here, then you're people probably similar to me, possibly, is you don't necessarily know which pretense you're destroying on that particular day. Because your very existence sometimes can be a, pre or can be a pretense breaker and destroyer. So you know that you're going through this when people have reactions to you for no real reason. You haven't really given them a reason yet, 
right? It's one thing if you've given them a reason, but if you've literally done nothing and you seem to trigger people, what is happening is you are breaking down one of their pretenses and exercising them and they did not ask to be exercised. That's the most important part, you understand? Again, the longest stage of an exorcism is breaking the pretense. So if you break a pretense just by walking in the room, like you've really caused a lot of damage and you don't realize it, okay? I would just go down examples, but I think it would be very easy to offend if I started rolling down examples. Just know that anything could be a pretense, and you don't know it. So for example, let me say, let's think, let me see if I can find something innocuous, meaning harmless. You know what? I have the perfect example. Perfect. Do y'all remember when we were talking about Jordan Peterson and his treatment of lunch bucket and how they were making fun of lunch bucket because he brought a lunch bucket? Believe it or not, him bringing a lunch bucket might have broken the pretense of someone's sense of responsibility. So here's what I mean by that. Typically, people who bring their lunch to work, typically, and I'm making a general assumption, you know, uh, generalization. They tend to be very um, frugal and smart with their money. So they bring their lunch so they don't waste money on lunch every day. They don't want to spend $12 or $13 a day at lunch. So they bring their lunch to save money. So when Lunch Bucket showed up with his lunchbox, the message that may or may not have been sending, even if that was, was his intention or not, is I'm smart and responsible with my money and organized enough to bring my lunch every day. Whereas his coworkers might have to go to Subway every day, Hardee's, Arby's, McDonald's, Burger King, because they don't bring their lunch and it may not necessarily be something that they're proud of. So when they see him organized with his lunchbox, they broke that pretense of, oh, there's nothing wrong with me spending money like this every day. And look, if you can afford it, there's not. The pretense belongs to the person who developed it. So I'm not saying that either one is right. I'm not saying Lunch Bucket was right for bringing his lunch. And I'm also not saying that they were wrong for going out to lunch. What I'm saying is he could have accidentally broken a pretense by doing that. Or remember they said, what, did your mommy pack that for you? The pretense that might've been broken was he has a woman in his life who cares about him. Glitch him out, exactly. Mm -hmm. So when Lunch Bucket shows up with his lunchbox, the pretense one of his coworkers may have had was, I don't need no woman. I can feed myself. I do just fine. I eat every day. And when they see Lunch Bucket with the lunchbox, it's like, well, what? Did his mommy make him that? Did his girlfriend make him that? I bet his girlfriend made him that. So what that I don't have a girlfriend? I don't need a girlfriend to make me lunch. I can make lunch every day if I wanted to. I know how to make a Like, boom, glitched. Glitched out. Do you see what I mean? Do you see what I mean? It could be something like... um, here, I'll just use men again since I'm on men. Let's say a guy walks in and his head is completely shaved bald, right? Now he would think nothing of that, right? But maybe the pretense that he has broken for someone else is someone else is not happy about the fact that they're going bald and they're 
it makes them upset that someone else feels comfortable in the world with a bald head. So they see his bald head. They try to hide theirs every day. And that's the pretense that is broken. Do you see? Like it's, it's very complex, you guys. And I have other examples, but I'm trying to keep them high level so as not to break anyone's pretense in the chat. <laughs> but do you see what I mean? Like you can shatter someone's pretense and not mean to. And that's, that's the best way that I can say it. And there can be things about you or the way you do things or the choices that you've made or not made, the decisions that you have made or not made. So sometimes that's what I'm saying. Like sometimes it can come down to a decision. You made a decision in your life that breaks somebody else's pretense because either they made a different decision and they don't like the results. So they look at you who made a, a decision different from theirs and you break their pretense of them telling themselves that what they chose is okay. And here's the thing, what they chose might be okay. It's them who has the issue with it. It is so hard to explain you guys. Like it makes perfect sense in my head. I just don't think I'm communicating it very well, but just know that a lot of you are out here shattering pretenses and you don't realize it. You really don't. Man, I could go on and on and on about that. I feel like sometimes I shatter people's ogre. So remember last, last stream, we were talking about the big ogre and the little ogre. I feel like sometimes when people go all big ogre on me, like however I approach it often brings them right back down to baby ogre. So it's like, I'm not scared of you, basically. <laughs> it's like I'm standing in front of this giant ogre and I'm like, look, I'm not scared of you. Are you going to keep this up? Or, and they're like, oh no, I was just kidding. I just want to just scare you a little bit, mommy. And why are you being mean to me, mommy? Why would you do that to me? And now the baby ogre is rocking on the floor. And when they're little, they're actually really cute. Let's move on. It says, this is on page 194. The demonic hides within and behind a person. And that creeped me out too. Obviously it hides within a person, but that behind a person creeped me out. Like, oof, like I just picture this shadow person, like stepping behind somebody and like trying to peek out from behind them, but not too much because they don't want you to see it. Totally creeped out. But the demonic hides within and behind a person. And I took a couple notes here. It says, and this is on 195, for the exorcism proper is the final stripping away of the pretense to come face to face with the demonic proper. So what they're trying to do in an exorcism is get that demonic that's hiding behind the person to step up front, basically come to the front versus like continuously playing this game of hide and seek and make believe it's like come to the front. You know what I mean? I think um, this happens a lot when they're doing police interrogations and things like that. Now I will say this. I think a lot of the methods that they use are unethical, but apparently they're allowed because the purpose is to get a confession. But I'm like, how do you know if you've really gotten a confession if you used unethical methods? 
You see what I mean? We'll talk about that another day. But I do believe a lot of what happens in these interrogation rooms is essentially an exorcism where they just keep peppering the suspect with the facts. And sometimes they lie. And that's why I said, I, I wonder how ethical it is. But for the sake of this stream, we'll just say the facts. They just keep peppering the suspect with the facts, the facts, the facts, the facts, the facts, the facts, the truth, the truth, the truth, the truth, the truth, the truth, until the demonic steps out from behind the person and goes, okay, fine. I did it. Oh my God. Jeez. Yes, I did it. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I did it on that day at that time. Yes. Yeah, I did it for this reason. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know where the body is. Yeah. Yeah. I can take you right. Yes. Yes. God. Okay. Yes. They're breaking down the pretense, basically. Breaking it down, forcing it to the front, because otherwise it will continue to hide and play these little games. So another note that I made off to the side was accountability seems to have an exercising effect on people. So much so to the point where some narcissists and some evil people, if you try to hold them accountable, they will choose death over accountability any day. They would rather die than be responsible for something. They would literally, literally rather die, and I'm not exaggerating, than be held accountable for something because holding them accountable is the equivalent of an exorcism. It is. So those of you who've had issues in different relationships, in particular, like spousal, partner, marriage, domestic, whatever, that tends to be where people try to hold each other accountable the most. If you're dealing with a demonic or a narcissistic person, every time you try to hold them accountable, essentially you are exercising them. And the whole thing about an exorcism is it has to be consensual. The person has to want to be exercised. So when you are holding them accountable, you are exercising them without their consent. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be holding people accountable. All I'm saying is that you're exercising them without their consent. That's all. And at risk of someone hearing that wrong, all I'm saying really is that you are exercising them. So when you try to hold them accountable, you try to hold your feet, their feet to the fire, you try to confront them with the truth and you try to confront them with reality, you are performing an exorcism. And in that, you have the ability to bring out some of the worst behavior you've ever seen come out of that person. Because essentially you're, you're watching their demon exercise itself. Yeah, they go into a rage, exactly. Because again, a true exorcism is supposed to be done with consent. A person is supposed to want that demon to come out before it can really have its intended effect. So when you do this, Man, like you are really toying with the spiritual and the and the demonic. And I'm not saying to not do it. I'm, what I'm, please hear me. I'm not saying that now from now on, you shouldn't try to hold people accountable. You shouldn't try to make people face the truth because you cannot assume that, <laughs> you can't assume that all people who won't face the truth are demonically possessed. They are not equivalent. And I don't want you to make that equivocation. Sometimes people just simply aren't ready to face a particular truth, but with the passage of time, they can become ready to face that truth. 
So I don't want you to, to not hold people accountable because you're afraid you might exercise them. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> because that's what the demons want. They don't want you to hold them accountable. And look at the world that is being created slowly when we start to take accountability off the table. It's a, it's a narcissist dreamscape. It's a fantasy land for them. A world where there's no accountability whatsoever. It's like that would probably be the true, the truest and purest form of hell as well. A world with no accountability where people really can do whatever they want to. And there's no one and nothing there to hold them accountable. Yeah, that sounds fun for probably like 30 minutes. So and then after those 30 minutes, it's going to turn into a nightmare for you. Because trust me when I say that a lot of what prevents a lot of these people from doing something is the law and the fact that they don't want to damage their reputation. So those two things, the law and their reputation, keeps them from doing some of the most egregious things to you or to whomever. And proof of this is, and I think this is kind of funny because I kind of gave a similar example. I don't remember what live stream it was, but I was saying, imagine if the law suddenly changed to where anything under $500, the police won't even come do a report on it. And the day after that law passes, your neighbor comes and steals your lawnmower. Well, in certain parts of the country right now, in the United States, anything less than $950 is considered a misdemeanor. And people have been going and cleaning these stores out. It's not all across the country. It's certain cities have made it a misdemeanor and they are literally going in with trash bags to clean out like makeup and just whatever, because as long as it's less than 950, the people can't do anything. So what's my point in bringing that up? My point in bringing that up is that's who they always were. They just didn't want to go to jail. Now that jail is no longer an option they're doing what they want to up until the what the law allows. That's a dangerous person. If the law is the only thing that stops a person from doing certain things, that's actually a dangerous person. Because that means as soon as the law changes, they're going to do everything they've ever dreamed of. All of it. They're going to do absolutely everything in their fantasies as soon as the law allows them to. So that means that they're only bound by legalities and damage to the reputation, and that's it. Okay, so let's move on. I thought this was interesting. So this is on page 195, and it says, silence seemed the most effective of the many means used for the final penetration of the pretense. And I felt like we've discussed this before in the early videos where I used to say that when they're going off and melting, melting down and you know doing their little narcissistic tirades, you should really sit back and watch as if you're watching like a shooting star. Like, wow, look at that. Like, as opposed to taking it personally, like what's wrong with me? Why is this person saying all this stuff to me? You have to take back or step back and take almost like a scientific observer's approach. Like, oh, this is fascinating. Look at it. Look at it go. Like you're observing something under a Petri dish something new and unusual and rare that you've never seen before. You see what I mean? So I felt like this was kind of similar to that. 
Silence seemed the most effective of the many means used for the final penetration of the pretense. So often, if this if this is like a face-to-face -face thing, what this can look like is just sitting there quietly and just looking at them. You're not doing anything. You're just looking at them. And it's like it breaks them. They can't take it. I think this is why they talk so much. There's something about that silence. I don't know what it is. I think this is why they're so loud. A lot of the demons that I've known are just loud. They're loud people. But I think, I think the noise keeps them alive or something. I don't know. Or maybe the silence scares the demon because silence was the first thing they experienced after they got thrown out of heaven. There is a theory. That's a theory to explore on my other channel. Why does silence freak these people out so much? You know, why can't they be at peace? They, they can't sit still. They're never at peace. They got to roam. Always talking. Always running their mouth. Never really talking about much, but always running that mouth. They can't stand the silence. Often this is what makes people confess in those police interrogations as well. Sometimes the investigators just sit there quietly and look at them. And the demons cannot take the silence and they crack. So that would be an interesting, interesting topic to explore on a different, um, different stream, different day, probably different channel. But what is it about the silence that gets these people? You know what I mean? So let's move on. But yeah, to crack that pretense, they just go quiet on them. So it makes me wonder then, like, does no contact have an effect? Does no contact have an exercising effect? Because no contact is essentially silence. So does that have some sort of exercising effect on them? I think it does. Even if they never admit it, I think it does. Okay, this is on page 195. It says, for the demon itself seemed to have a marked ability to draw the exorcist or team into a confusing conversation that went nowhere. Oh. The demon itself seemed to have a marked ability to draw the exorcist or team into a confusing conversation that went nowhere. They can all do this, y'all. It's like they're born with it. They are born with it. And I promise you, it's one of the first signs to me that I'm dealing with either a narcissist or someone somewhere on that spectrum. Like, I know that people get nervous. And a lot of times when people are nervous, they just kind of, they ramble. Oftentimes when people get nervous, they ramble. But I can tell the difference between nervous rambling and rambling that is designed to go nowhere. And the book notes how when they are interacting with this demon who's rolling in and out of the healthy personality and the demonic, the demonic personality has a tendency to loop them into these conversations that go nowhere. I do think this is very important to note though. Note these confusing conversations that go nowhere. Note the people who constantly try to pull you into them. Note whether or not the conversation is actually going anywhere. Is there any fruit from this interaction? Now, listen, I'm not saying every conversation has to be a brainstorming session where y'all solve world hunger. 
and create world peace. But what I'm saying is like, is it meaningful? Like, is it meaningful for them? Is it meaningful for you? If not, what are y'all doing? Engaging in conversations that go nowhere. That's demonic. Let's move on. It was an incredibly contemptuous grin or utter hostile malevolence. So this is where he noticed the demonic smirk coming out of someone that they were doing an exorcism on. And here's the whole sentence. It says, when the demonic finally spoke clearly in one case, an expression appeared on the patient's face that could be described only as satanic. It was an incredibly contemptuous grin of utter hostile malevolence. I have spent many hours before a mirror trying to imitate it without the slightest success. I have seen that expression only one other time in my life for a few fleeting seconds on the face of the other patient late in the evaluation period. So that smirk is real, honey. That smirk is real. It's like a, it's, it's, it's creepy and it's something you really can't duplicate unless you have the demonic in you. Now, this, this is definitely a deeper PCE material. <laughs> it's, this is on 196. It says, despite these frequent darting moments, what upset me the most was the extraordinary sense of a 50 million year old heaviness I received from this serpentine being. Okay. So what he was saying, let me see if I can find it here. It would actually require me reading this whole thing. And I don't want to read this whole entire paragraph, but what he was basically saying, actually, I, I have to. So just bear with me. This is 196. It says, yet when the demonic finally revealed itself in the exorcism of this other patient, it was with a still more ghastly expression. The patient suddenly resembled a writhing snake of great strength, viciously attempting to bite the team members. More frightening than the writhing body, however, was the face. The eyes were hooded with lazy reptilian torpor, except when the reptile darted out in attack, at which moment the eyes would open wide with blazing hatred. Despite these frequent darting moments, what upset me the most was the extraordinary sense of a 50 million year old heaviness I received from this serpentine being. Y'all, okay, so like, okay. When I first started exploring the different rabbit holes many years ago, obviously the whole reptile thing used to come up a lot. There's people who are convinced that members in our government are reptilians, reptilian beings, the theme has even come out on The Simpsons before. It's been talked about ad nauseum. People have explored it ad nauseum. And for someone who believes a lot of far out things, this is one that I really struggle with or struggled with until I read this. Because I'm like, this guy wasn't caught up in conspiracy theories. This book was written in 1983. The internet didn't even exist yet. So if there were, if there was talk about reptilians, it was probably like in very small, closed off social circles. You know what I mean? So for him to put this in there, paired with what the theorists have been saying for years, makes me want to explore this topic a little more deeply, obviously on my other channel. 
But the question I wrote off to the side for myself is, what is this reptile theme? What is it? Why does this theme keep reappearing? Even in the Bible, it talks about the dragon, which is essentially a reptile, basically. And Satan being the serpent. You know what I mean? Why does this imagery or this reference to reptiles and serpents keep reappearing? Why? And why is it ancient? Or why does it seem ancient anyway? Like, what's going on here? This world is strange. That's why I started my other channel, because... Again, I'm deeply rooted in reality, but I have a lot of questions. And th these will be some of them, like, what is going on? What is this reptilian theme that repeats itself throughout history? And how true is it? And is there some truth to it? And if so, how and why? You see what I mean? Because this, again, was written in 83, long before any of these YouTube channels came out talking about reptilians. You see what I mean? So, ooh, interesting. The chat says a dragon guards the gate to purgatory, see? And even in the Bible, it speaks of the Leviathan, which apparently is a giant. Is Leviathan a, a dragon or a lizard or something different? What is the Leviathan? But the Leviathan is like a giant sea-dwelling creature that apparently is still down there and is just not allowed to come up yet. Um. So again, at risk of going way deep down and in, into a different rabbit hole, let's move on. But I just thought that was very, very interesting. Okay. So this is on page 196. He said that ultimately it's God that does the exercising. And what he was saying was that these exorcisms cannot be rushed. And ultimately the thing that removes this demonic presence from these people is God, I'll say himself, some of you know that I question, I have gender questions, but for the sake of just being consistent, it's God himself that does the exercising out of these people, but God has to be invited in. God is not rude. God is not pushy. God is not forceful and is not going to force himself on you. God has to be invited in. And that's part of what the exorcism process is. Once they break the pretense and get the demonic to come forward, then God can step forward and essentially kick it out. You see, but there is a caveat to this. And the caveat is even God cannot heal a person that does not want to be healed. Okay. And that's on page 197. It's very consensual. God is a very consent-based person, which is why God is not going to force you into heaven or force you into hell. God is going to allow you to choose where you end up. God is not going to force you. God wants you to choose to be there, you see? So in the same way, God cannot heal a person who doesn't want it truly. And if even God can't heal a person that doesn't want to be healed, what can you do? Like, what can you really, really do? Again, I know we think very highly of our ability to touch other people. And I have no doubt that you're very effective in touching the people who can be touched. But you have to understand that you are not God. And if even God can't heal a person that doesn't want it, you can't either. You really can't. 
And that this thought should actually be very freeing for you. This should free you up a lot. And knowing that there's really nothing that you can or cannot do to help or fix that person. All you can really do is pray for them. That's it. Pray that they one day want to be healed. That's the best thing that you can do for them. Pray that one day they want to be healed for themselves. And that's it. That's literally all you can do. And then finally, and this is going to close out this particular show, and then we'll go into after show. This is on page 197. And all of that is because Satan does not easily let go. So for all that to be considered. So again, the person has to want it. God can't fix it until they want it. And on top of all of that, Satan doesn't easily let go. And in the book, it even talks about how Satan seems to hang around after the exorcism is over and that if they have not done an adequate job, he will hop right back in there again and take up residence again. Doesn't want to leave because I believe part of the curse when Satan got thrown from heaven, Satan and all his fallen angels got thrown from heaven. Part of the curse is they're not allowed to have a body. They're not allowed to have their own body. So the only way that they can have beingness in this realm is to inhabit others. That's it. So in other words, they are homeless. No offense to people who are physically homeless here on earth. What I'm saying is they are spiritually homeless. They have nowhere to put their soul. They have nowhere to store it. They know they have nowhere to rest it at night. So they try to hop in anyone who's open and available because at least they have a body for a little while, you see? And some people, they have a, a body for a long time. They like squat. They're squatters basically. So it's the difference between someone who has their own home and someone who not only does not have their own home, but is not allowed to have their own home. And the only way that they can ever have a home is essentially by breaking into other people's houses and squatting there until they get kicked out. And that is Satan's lot and that is his curse. And that's why he doesn't easily let go. He has nowhere else to go. So every home is valuable to him. So with that, you guys, we have concluded this particular stream, The Accidental Exorcist, okay? So I'm just going to do some quick wrap-up thoughts. Um, I want to do a quick intermission. I'll read a few, few of your comments. Not going to do a call-in tonight. I think I'll do the call-in like when we're down to like the last one or two shows because it'll be like kind of like a big recap, okay? And that, that'll be how we close it out. So to summarize this particular show, essentially the premise of this chapter was all about real exorcisms, how they happen, you know, the structure, the order that they go in, the different circumstances surrounding them. And as I was reading it, though, it gave me the revelation that many of us go around every day exercising people on accident and we don't mean to. And I think often it's with really detrimental consequences, like, for example, when they lash out with violence. I think a lot of this violence is just simply exorcisms. Like, for example, and not to be grim, but it is a good example, um, recently, and this was caught on camera, there was a dispute between a, a landscaper 
and the client's neighbor. Okay, so you have two neighbors, neighbor A and neighbor B. Neighbor A is the one who hired the landscaper, right? Well, the landscaper was throwing the, the debris from landscaping, like the leaves and the grass clippings, onto the yard of neighbor B, right? Now, neighbor B apparently had already addressed it with neighbor A in the past. Like, hey, can you tell your landscaper not to blow all their trash into my yard or whatever? Well, apparently either the neighbor didn't address it or they did and the landscaper didn't care. So when neighbor B saw the landscaper doing it again, neighbor B goes out there to confront this person about it and the landscaper pulls out a gun and kills him. So what took place there? Most people would say, oh, why are people so violent? Why, why can't people just work it out and use their words? Well, now we know that when neighbor B confronted the landscaper who knew he was wrong, usually these people do know that they're wrong. He exercised him in that moment. He held him accountable in that moment. He called him out in that moment. He did an exorcism on the spot with no support, no backup, didn't know that he was exercising this person and their response was to respond with violence because their demon hopped out unaware. You see what I mean? So I think this might be what's happening, you guys. And again, that's not me saying don't hold people accountable. If anything, maybe we need to start doing it more so we can see who the demons are. So we can see who they are. Because if you've never tried to hold them accountable, you may not know you're living with a violent demon. How would you ever find out until you accidentally exercise them one day? You see what I mean? So this topic is worthy of much, much more discussion, um, much deeper discussion. And I think that we might, we might have that deeper discussion on my other channel, just not tonight. But take care, everyone. And we will talk again very, very soon. Bye.